Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. With that, we now go out to talk with, uh, from the Detroit Free Press, who joined us just a couple of weeks ago, Chris Soleri. Chris, long time no here. Hope you're doing well. Well, it feels like a long time ago, believe it or not. It's been a long week and a half, two weeks. I bet. I bet it has. Um, I'll start with Michigan State basketball. Uh, How deeply affected has this Michigan State team been by Hall and Aikens being out, even though Aikens is back in the lineup now? Yeah, it's tremendous because, I mean, this is – Izzo went into this season with 10 scholarship guys, you know, he banked three scholarships and, you know, people locally have been on him. Like, why didn't you use the portal? He really likes the chemistry that these guys have, but this is the risk. You know, when you only have 10 scholarship guys, and I think part of that is also the, the worry and concern about the portal and, and guys being unhappy and constantly having flux. So he, he was trying going small in terms of rosters, and, you know, once you hit a major injury like this and then you add another one to it, um, it changes the dynamic of your team. Um, they, you know, Aikens, Aikens had off-season surgery, yeah. um, you know, right before, the, right before the season started. He worked his way back to play right away uh, against Gonzaga. And, you know, he kind of tweaked it a little bit with a, you know, just a fall in the Villanova game that, it just looked like he twisted it a little bit, almost like a sprained ankle that they needed to operate cautiously with. And he came back against Northwestern the other day, and there were times where he looked fatigued um, and winded. Uh, but the Hall injury is a tough one because you don't, you know, both of those guys in particular being out at the same time on the wing, um, you got one other wing in Pierre Brooks. I mean, they have, they've been using uh, Jason Whitens, who's a walk-on grad transfer, he had started previously at Western Michigan, but, um, you know, that's still a drop-off. That's still a major drop-off from, from the guys that you had there. So, yeah, it, it, and, and Hall does so many little things in terms of organizing the defense and, you know, hitting a shot and stretching defenses a little bit and attacking. So, I mean, those losing one of those guys was going to be an issue, but losing both, on the same at the same spot, really, really put them in a bind over the last few games. Because I don't think there's a better. Now there may be some people in the same category, but a better inside-out player in the conference than Malik Hall. Yeah, I, I could, he, he's close to it. I mean, he's got the ability to do it. I don't know how consistently he does it, but um, you know, he certainly can step out and hit. Um, and on, on top of that, he can. He can get you with his back to the basket, hit a little turnaround. I mean, so yeah, I, I could see that. You know, and it's a weird year in the Big Ten too, because I don't know how many of those kind of guys there are. You know, when you look at the talent level. I mean, it's it's kind of going to be a. You know, someone was asking about this earlier. You know, what's going to happen this season? It might end up being a war of attrition to, to who can survive and be the the Big Ten champion this year, just because I think the teams are so. You know, call it parity, call it. Um, you know, mediocrity, I think is what Izzo said the other day. Um, someone will rise above it, but, I mean, this could be a five or six, yeah, maybe not six, but probably about four or five lost Big Ten champion this year. Well, so now I get to A.J. Hogart, uh, and I thought he played really well to his credit against Northwestern. 
he's been okay for the most part at Michigan State. What's opened the door for him to playing better this year? Mercurial is probably the best way to describe him um, because you see the flashes. And, and I think it drives Tom Izzo mad because he sees the flashes of the the tremendous court vision, the ability to get north and south, using his size against smaller guards. Uh, but then he'll make boneheaded decisions, you know, whether it be yep. try, trying to dribble behind his back at the free throw line and getting it picked and going the other way for a bucket or shooting outside early in the shot clock and goes the other way for a long touchdown turnover for a touchdown in some ways or, you know, making a terrible pass in a situation where he just plays under control, um, it, it, something good can happen anyways. That's that's kind of it. I, I, you know, it, it, there's a lot of, I, I'd say, sophomore year Denzel Valentine in him in that there's a lot of things that he can do. He just hasn't figured out how to put it all together under control. And because there, are, I, I, I think my theory is that guys who can do many, many things well, when they try to do everything well at once, yeah. you can go off the rails. Yep, you, you can, you can, you can do sometimes too much. And with Hogard, you know, I mean, the early shot clock threes—that's not his game. Right. That's not, I mean, he shouldn't be doing that. And you know, he's he did that in the Northwestern game, and it, you know, long rebounds go the other way for breakaway buckets or you know the the turnovers that you know he, he limited his turnovers in that game but you watched a little closely mm-hmm. he made some maddening passes they would get deflected out of bounds those don't show up in a statute as turnovers but they kill the offensive rhythm so there's a lot of those kind of little things that i think he needs to just embrace the teaching that Izzo has and and i think he could take that next step it might take till the end of the year, but there's going to be a lot of push and pull between him and Izzo, I think, until then. How has uh, Joey Hauser, speaking of transfers, how's he been, and how about Sissoko in the middle? Hauser's been, I'd say, mercurial as well. I mean, he's, his, his shooting in particular. I mean, there are nights where he just doesn't look like he'll miss, and there are nights where he doesn't look like he'll make anything. Um, <laughs> but he's been, a, he's been a pretty consistent rebounder. And he's done a lot more, I think, on the defensive end because they haven't, because of Sissoko, they haven't had to put Hauser very often. I mean, it's against Gonzaga, they did. They put him up against Timmy, and he got worked pretty well. Um, but then the next game, they come out against Kentucky, and that's where you know you, you miss a guy like Malik Hall. Instead of going to Hauser against Oscar Shibway, they went to Malik Hall. Right. Um, and I think Hauser's better when he's playing. Another four. He can't. He can't go out of his position on the defensive side. If, he, if he's playing against a four, he's pretty solid, and he's been a pretty good positional rebounder. Um, but the shot. I mean, the, the shot is pure. There are just times when it's just really off, and you know it, it gets a little bit. Sissoko is interesting because he had those two big games against Kentucky and and Gonzaga, and everyone thought, well, we're watching the, the making of a star, but. It's kind of fallen off since then, and it's. I think part of that is you've got a big guy that is learning how to play those minutes again. I mean, it's you know kind of like how Izzo's trying to figure out when he's got four guys basically averaging thirty plus minutes a game, how to keep them fresh. You know, Sissoko just getting twenty plus a game, it, it, it's, a, it's a learning curve as well. Um, 
but he's got to be a little better with his hands, I think. I mean, he's struggling with catching the ball in the post and, and holding on to rebounds at times. But he's got that physical presence and, you know, length that he can be a disruptor inside. And, you know, they just need more from him on the, on the rebounding side and on the defensive end. All right. Uh, on the football side of it, this has probably contributed to a long two weeks for you. What has it been like on the football side as a post-mortem on a 5-7 and seven season? Yeah, it's, you know, I think there's a lot of, well, because there was, well, I don't say concern, but there was a thought that maybe they could sneak into a 5-7 and seven <laughs> bowl bid, but, you know, those those filled up pretty quickly, kind of as, as many people anticipated, and yeah. they got left out, which really was kind of everyone's thought. It, you can't rule it out until it's done, so that's right. one thing, but... I mean, it's now you're turning, you're seeing guys, I think I had four guys in the last couple of days, all defensive linemen enter the transfer portal. Uh, kicker Jack Stone, who hit that 51-yarder at the yep. end of the first half in that game, hit the transfer portal. So now you start looking at this. Is it is it something that's going on with the program, or is it just the nature of college football right now? Because um, we're seeing, I mean, the where does Michigan State rank with some of those schools that have lost guys to the portal? Not They're not up there. I mean, you know, Alabama, I think, had like double digits. They do. Yep. A couple other ones, schools had double digit guys lost. But it's also early in the process, too. So, you know, it, it, it certainly is, bears watching, though, because they've got to finish up towards signing day, keep the recruits that Mel Tucker has in place. You know, a bunch of four star kids. Um, they already lost some of them, um, but that's kind of their, their thing now, is they got to be able to build that class. Um, and then, if you're going to go back into the portal, you got to identify and, and find the, the pieces that you need and, and be able to lure them there. So it's going to be a long off season for Mel Tucker. There's, not, there's no talk of national championships this year. There shouldn't be, and especially coming out of last year when they were very high on the hog in a lot of ways and saying that the next step was to win it all uh, going into this year. They fell far short of that and maybe a little bit of humbling uh, that they, they got in that. Yeah. Uh, uh... How does I mean? Do you have any idea what his philosophy is? It is it to go half and half on portal and and bringing guys in, or is it to use it sparingly? Or how does he want to use the portal? Ultimately, he wants to use it sparingly, but you know that's kind of I, I think, and I don't even know if we can say this is a Mel Tucker situation. This is a college football situation because it's yeah. so new, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't know how. You know, I mean, sometimes new coaches come in and they just want to hit a reset and get whatever type of guys that they want in there. Um, is that good or bad? We're just we're finding that out in real time. Because um, I think there's something that's lost in, in terms of building a brotherhood that people talk about yes. when you have guys gone through three, four, five years together um, and pass on those lessons when you're bringing guys in from the portal that are there for a year, I mean, almost like free agency, um, you, you, you kind of lose that in, in terms of what college football has been. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I mean, it's, it's, it's what it is and what it's going to be. But it's going to take some adjustment. And how, you know, how are these kids prepared for that, you know, in, in that 18 to 23-year-old range? I mean, you know, you think about the way minor league baseball goes when guys are, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, they're going through the ranks. They don't care about winning. That's the difference here. Right. You know, this is this is caring about winning. There's, this isn't developmental. Right. So it, it's it's fascinating, kind of watching a lot of these things, the NIL, 
um, you know, the the immediate eligibility of transfers, all these things playing out in, in real time. We're seeing a, a, probably the most drastic change in college football since probably post-World War II. And it's well, all coming at once in different right. areas. Exactly, Chris. And this, what's interesting is one of the words that is thrown around a lot uh, in the last few years in intercollegiate athletics is culture. And I don't, you know, yeah. I don't know if you're if you're heavy on the transfer portal. I don't know how. If I'm talking about if you're heavy on the transfer portal, I don't know how you can form a culture. It's it's hard. It's hard. I mean, you can say and talk about culture all you want. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not how it works, right? Culture is established over time. Right. And you can try right. and and you can try and force culture. You can try and it, but sometimes it has to be organic. Sometimes it's things that are outside of your realm. That that it's just the guys themselves that the coaches have nothing to do with. You know, the players, the the kids who come in that first week in the summer and they're just getting to know the university and they've got an older player that's showing them around and getting them kind of adjusted to life in the dorms and those sort of things that, that really set the bar for what the program is and what the culture is. When you've got guys that have on, on stop two and stop three in their college career, where's the, where's the pass along? Where's, you know, in, in my industry, Many, many years ago, there used to be, uh, you know, a pass along of institutional knowledge. Yeah. And and that's changed, and that's been a dramatic change in, in our industry. And I feel like that's kind of changing now with guys getting in the portal and saying, you know what, let's just get out of here. Like, for example, look, look at a guy like Damian Terry. Yes. From Michigan State, yep. from Erie. Yep. Um, he comes in as a four-star recruit. Damian Terry would have been gone in the moment that Connor Cook got that starting no job question. in 2013. Yep. And he could have been he could have been somewhere else playing, but instead he, you know, and in fact, I think he got his one start at Penn State at the end of his junior he year. He did. Yep. Um, so, I mean, guys like that, I mean, that are program guys, you know, whether it be the coach's decision or their decision, they're getting burned out. And those are the guys that really are what your culture is. It's the bedrock. Those are the bedrock guys that, that go through it on those July days mm-hmm. in running gassers because they love the sport, they love the program, whatever it might be. They're not trying to necessarily get to that next level. They want to, but sometimes guys just are doing it for the love of the game and the love of the program. And I don't know. I mean, you know, when that if that changes – I mean, it's it, you know, I think it's 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 a it's a very big tightrope for coaches right now. I think I, you know, and particularly Mel Tucker. I mean, he's a guy that you know kind of set the curve for that in yes. some ways. Yep. So, well, you know, it's that thing and watch. That's for sure. Well, you're bedrock to us, so we appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate you, uh, and look forward to seeing you as always, my friend. Thanks so much, Chris. All right, see, take care.